delight in doctrine. So tonight we're coming down to the <coughs> excuse me, the doctrine of man. As I told several of you, the uh, the pastor was so kind. To, you know, he gives these great topics about God, the holiness of God, and the righteousness of Jesus, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to to these other ministers. And what does he give me? Sin and depravity. <laughs> I'm pretty sure what they said was, "Bob, you've had uh, you've you've had longer to sin. You're more familiar with it than the rest of us. So you probably are more depraved than the others. So uh, that may or may not be true." Years ago when I was in graduate school, one of my professors, a great man of God, I thought, I thought he was old then. He was probably 10 years younger than I am now. He uh, had been a missionary in Africa with the African Inland Mission. His name was Dr. John Gratian, good fellow. And uh, at the beginning of several classes, uh, he, he said something like this. He said, now look, I'm here sharing with you the thoughts of people that are smarter than myself. He said, Solomon was right. There's nothing new under the sun. He said, so if I'm sharing some things with you, someone else has already said it. I'm sharing their thoughts and that kind of thing. So I just want to let you know that. So uh, one day he's teaching, and he, he had been a missionary in Africa. And he said, you know, we had all these missionaries in the city, and they were doing all this administrative work. And, but they weren't telling people about Jesus. He said, we had missionaries in the cities, but not for the cities. He said, I don't think I've ever heard that before. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Dr. Grayson was also the, <laughs> he said, this is the kind of thing that brings dozens of examples to mind. I just can't think of one. <laughs> he actually did say that. So we're going to be talking about the doctrine of man today. And um, what I want to do is, once you to open up your Bibles, we're going to start here, and then we're going to go somewhere else, and we're going to come back to this. But uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19, uh, that's where we're going to start, and uh, that's... Uh, if you don't remember anything else that we say tonight, just remember, well, we read from Romans 5, 12 through 19. Uh, this is, to me, the New Testament foundation and critical passage about the doctrine of man. So uh, let's read it here as we begin. And I don't have the extra special version. This is my NIV from years ago. So uh, this is the NIV. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came, <clears throat> that came, excuse me, the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and it brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man? Jesus Christ. So 
we want to look at what the Bible says about man tonight. Uh, so that's the, the entire thing about the, the study of the doctrine of man. And if you think about it, oh, by the way, I left some blanks on your, on your handout to keep you awake so you can fill these in. If I forget to say what uh, is in one of those blanks, be sure and uh, remind me. But it uh, kind of falls into four natural sections. Uh, we're going to talk about the origin of man. Uh, where did man come from? We're going to talk about man and his original state. And um, the image of God, the unblemished image of God. That's where that begins. So that's the second thing. The third thing is man after he disobeyed God. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And it's also known as the fall. And uh, we'll spend some time talking about all three of those. And then the fourth thing, is we, which we may not get around to talking about as much because this is an entire doctrinal study by itself, God's redemption of man. That is part of the doctrine of man, how God has redeemed him. And so that <clears throat> would be the, the fourth part on that. So uh, these things are pretty easy to remember. They're self-evident. They kind of divide themselves up like that. And we'll spend more time on the first three than we do uh, on the last. Now, I thought it would be interesting, we're going to talk about the doctrine of man, if we, if we jump over to number three, and let's look for an illustration for number three before we go any further. So what I did uh, on Monday of this week, I went to several different news uh, websites. I thought I would just gather up some headlines from around the world that would illustrate <clears throat> number three, man after he disobeyed God, uh, the fall of man. So headlines from CNN, MSNBC, NPR, Fox News. Here we go. Miami Beach sits midnight curfew after the second spring break fatal shooting. Protesters set city ablaze amid France's retirement age controversy. Sex offenders accused of raping girls at a hotel for the homeless. Mutiny erupts at a juvenile facility by kids armed with shanks. Teens arrested for robbery on the city sidewalk that left a woman par paralyzed. People watch in shock as a bound kidnap victim escapes from a car trunk. Community steps up to help a 91-year-old veteran after he was robbed of $7,000 cash while pumping gas. Jury convicts three of a 2018 murder. I thought I'd throw in one here to lift your spirits. Are silk pillowcases worth it? Absolutely, here's why. <laughs> Secretary of State accuses all sides in the Ethiopian conflict of committing war crimes. A Colorado dentist arrested for allegedly poisoning his wife. Woman allegedly threatened McDonald's employees with a gun over a missing menu item. So we're going to talk about the doctrine of man, the fall of man. I think we're pretty familiar with that. We could just quit after having read that. This is just one day's headlines. Uh, those were all on Monday. Um, it's kind of a, an accurate but a sad picture of what's going on there. So we want to start back at the beginning, the origin of man. What does the Bible say about that? I think that everybody who is here tonight probably would agree to say, well, what? that's pretty simple. The Bible says that God created man. And... Uh, on your, <coughs> excuse me, on your handout here, I listed all kind of scriptures that affirm that all throughout, um, all throughout the Bible. Um, tonight we're going to mainly focus on Genesis one, some in Genesis two, Genesis three, and then on Romans five. But, but uh, look, look at those um, scriptures that are listed there. I'm just going to, uh, I, I typed them up here. Genesis one, twenty six and twenty seven. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image." After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds and the, and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, 
He created him, male and female, he created them. Genesis 2, 7. When the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Genesis 5, 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam, in the day when God created man, and he made them in the likeness of God. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed, for, the, for in the image of God he made man. Deuteronomy 4.32. Indeed, ask now concerning the former days which were before you, since the day that God created man on earth, and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything been done like this great thing? Or has anything been heard like that? Psalm 8. We won't read the whole thing. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars... What is man that you take mind uh, thought of him? Psalm 103. Uh, know that the Lord himself, he is God. It is he who has made us. Psalm 119.73. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Psalm 139. You're very familiar with this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful all your works and my soul knows it full well. Job 10. Your hands fashioned and made me all together. Would you destroy me now? Isaiah, it is I who made the earth, and I created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands. From the New Testament, Mark 10, from the beginning of creation, <clears throat> God made them male and female. This is Jesus speaking here from Acts. Paul is preaching in Acts uh, 17. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their inhabitation. In Hebrews, talking of man, you have made him for a little while lower, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. But you have made him, James 3, we, talking about the tongue. Uh, with our tongue we bless our Lord uh, and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. So the question is, did God create man? The Bible says he did. I believe that. So we're going to talk about some of the questions that, that go along with that. Um, um, <clears throat> at one point, man didn't exist. God created, uh, uh, the, he created the heavens and he created the birds and the fish and the, and the vegetation and everything in the world. And up to that point, man had not been created. But at one, at one moment, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So at the beginning... He did all this without creating man, but then he said, we're going to create man. And so today, I think all, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm assuming everyone here today would say, yes, I agree that, uh, <clears throat> that God did create man. Now think back to last week. You remember Trey referenced the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed? I know how excited you are to have a copy of that. If you look on the second page, on the back of the first page of your handout here, you have the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed. I even threw it into the Apostles' Creed just for free. There's no extra charge on that. Now, now I want you to look at these briefly. We're not going to spend a lot of time, but just read the first, uh, first two or three lines of each one. What do these things say about man? Where is it? Mm-hmm. Doesn't say much about man, does it? Talks about God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. Why were these creeds written? Do you remember what Trey said last week? Because there were controversies. 
about the nature of God, the nature of Jesus, the divinity of Christ. Uh, was Jesus fully human, fully divine? These creeds were in response to heresy. People said, well, I, I, have, I have a hard time believing this or that about God. The fact that God, I mean, the fact that man, the creation of man, is not mentioned in these creeds would kind of lead you to believe that, well, gee, there really wasn't any controversy back then. Everyone has the same idea that I have here, that yes, God did create man. And so there, there, were, <clears throat> there was no arguing about that. And so, uh, so I, I think we're pretty clear on that. So under the first point here, and these things kind of interweave themselves, we'll go back and forth on that thing. But talking about the origin of man, we've got th three, as I said, there three facts uh, at a question about the origin of man. <clears throat> Excuse me. I <clears throat> get over this stuff. That man was created by God. We've already, that's what we talked about. There's no discussion about that. Man was created in the image of God. And then man was created male and female. And then there's a question that we'll ask to go with those. So we've already talked about all the scripture that points out that man was created by God. We affirm what the scripture says. We don't, uh, we don't doubt that. Uh, man was created in the image of God. That's the second part of that. And now, here's the question. Exactly what does that mean? That, um, would you say that we have the idea that uh, man is in mankind, that men and women are inherently valuable? Would you agree with that? I think you would. Where do we get that idea? Where does that come from? I think our understanding of human dignity and everything and the fact that we have value comes from the fact that the Christian teachings over the years have been the fact that man is created in, in the image of God. Therefore, it, it, intrinsically, it gives us value. <coughs> and um, um, Frank, Frank Price said, this is a whole lot of stuff in here, Bob. I said, I found all these great quotes I want to share with you. Uh, this one, I, I love this uh, from uh, some guy from the, uh, somewhere in the SBC. Uh, the fact that human beings are created in God's image shapes our Christian worldview. Absolutely. And it affects how we see God. It affects how we see the world, how we see one another. And it also informs how we understand everything else in the Bible. The fact that man is created in the image of God. So every, just think about it. Everything in our life, how do you view other people? And, and just what Taylor mentioned this morning in, in the prayer of lament, talking about our church working with the organizations of the Harbor and Love and Action and the Rescue Mission, helping people that are uh, in hard situations like that. Why, why do we feel that we need to help them? Why, why do we need to serve them? Why do we need to, to help lift them up? Because we th even though we don't consciously think about that, they're made in the image of God. Is this water? <clears throat> I was hoping for some vodka. <clears throat> Cut that stuff out of there. Thank you so much, Cindy. So we, um, we don't often think about it, but our, the way we treat people is based on the fact that we believe that they're made in the image of God. Therefore, um, therefore we are going to, uh, we're going to treat them that way. Now, Taylor, this morning in your, in your prayer, um, you prayed this, this sentence, and, and I love this. We lament the condition of this world. We do. Why? Because people are made in the image of God, and the bad situations they in there are in, um, we wish that they could be. <clears throat> we wish that they could be better. So, it's not a small thing for us to say that we are created in the image of God. Um, 
this is one of the one of the ideas that I think that we need to understand. When God created us, um, God had created the rest of creation. Then He created man. So what 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 did He tell what what did He tell uh, man here? He said, "You're going to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to have dominion over every living thing, um, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, everything that crawls." God said, "You are going to be my overseer." Some people have used the word vice regent. Um, but man had a, if you want to call it, a mediating position between God and God and creation. That God had created creation, and He created man to rule over creation. Does that make sense? And so that was a <clears throat> that was a great honor. Now, if you look on your on your handout there, um, I listed here um, well several things that uh, people have written over the years about uh, what does it mean to. Um, to be made the image of God. The, uh, the thing we mentioned about being a vice regent, meaning that uh, man is exercising the authority of another. We are exercising God's authority, the creator who has put us in charge of creation uh, to take care of that. Um, another thing, um, the, uh, the, the aspects of human nature that, that clearly put us above the animal world. God put us here to rule over that. Things such as having... Um, rationality we were able to think have <clears throat> have relationships um we're ruling we have the authority to rule on behalf of god that he has appointed us for that um, that god has made us aware of ourselves that uh, that uh, we we know that we're uh, we know that we are sinners we have personality god gave us a, a sense of conscience that uh, man is able to uh, make moral decisions things that reflect the image of god um, Augustine, that uh, he came up with three things, just like uh, he was trying to mirror the uh, trini Trinity, uh, that God resides in man's memory, his understanding, uh, and his will. Um, so, but these these last three, that said, man uh, with the ability of of our nature that reflects um, God's divine image, we have a responsibility. Um, a responsibility back to God, that we are to glorify God and we are to enjoy Him forever. God created us so that He could have communion with us and we could worship Him. Uh, man alone among creatures worships God with a spiritual awareness. God did not make the rest of the, the world, the animal kingdom, um, spiritually aware. But God created us so that we could worship Him. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. And then as it said, maybe the most significant thing of all is that the image of God in man involves our creation for an identity that is in communion with our, with our maker, that we can have <clears throat> communion with God. Um, Colossians 3.10, would someone, would someone look that up and read it? Colossians 3.10. <coughs> Anybody? All right. put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of his creator. Um, he's talk, Paul is talking about here um, the image of his creator, that we have the ability to know God, is what he's saying here. Um, and knowledge is more than, it's more than just knowing. Uh, in 
Knowledge involves communion. It involves fellowship. Um, Ephesians 4.24. Someone read that one. So, would you say that is, this verse says in Ephesians, is righteousness and holiness are part of the image of God in us. Would you agree with that? Yes, I think uh, that would be definitely, uh, that would be part of it. Um, and we'll talk a bit in a minute when we get to uh, the fall of man. What does the image of God look like now? But righteousness and holiness are part of the image of God that God wanted to, to have in us. Genesis 2-7, someone read that one. Someone pointed out that this phrase that God breathed into his nostrils, you kind of think of someone giving someone else CPR. When that, when that happens, that is definitely a face-to-face experience, isn't it? Whether you want it to be or not. But uh, God created man face-to-face, so to speak. And um, face-to-face, we can have a relationship with him, a covenantal relationship with God. Um, one of the quotes that... Uh, and I, I found these quotes from, from all over different uh, commentaries and things. Uh, I, I put it in your handout there. Uh, I really like this. It says, one of the chief questions that anyone can ask is, who am I? And the Bible answers that we are living creatures made by God to bear his own image. The stamp of God is seen in our moral and our spiritual nature. It is also seen in our shared love within community. It is seen in our dominion on God's behalf as we've talked about there, the vice regency. And especially the stamp of God is seen in our calling to be in communion with God in knowledge and righteousness. Just think about this last statement. There's nothing that could grant greater dignity to our lives than to realize that we are creatures designed to know God and to be known by God. That we are designed to love our maker and to be loved by our maker. These are all parts of the the image of God that we're talking about, that that God created man, and he created us in his own image. If you have any questions as we go along, uh, feel free to speak up, because uh, I'm not not looking up that much. So so now that we have uh, gotten there, we're going to come to the... um, So the next part of God, God created us male and female. Now we're going to not spend a lot of time, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important to address this because part of the doctrine of man is that God did create us and he created us male and female. Um, God created men, he created women, um, and he created us. As it says in um, Psalm 139, he said, uh, I knit you together, and uh, you know, we were knit together, you knit us together in our mother's womb, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That uh, God created us. He made us the way he wanted us to. Men or women. Male or female. And uh, if you're a man, God made you that way. If you're a female, God made you that way. Uh, because God wanted us to be that way. It does. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But I never would have imagined in my lifetime that society and culture is trying to tell me that men can be women and women can be men. And I just don't understand that. But... Um, but um, 
that's taking place in this country, in Europe, and not necessarily in the rest of the world. But uh, the whole point is, you may have heard this word social construct. That will, well, you be male or female, uh, you're biologically male or female, but your gender is, you know, whatever society def decides to define that as. Yeah, that very well could be, Edmund. But uh, social construct means it's something that society is deciding how things are going to be. But uh, in my opinion, is gender a social construct? No, it is not. I think the Bible teaches differently than that. Roles for men and women have changed over the years, but, uh, but God, God's plan uh, for men and women has not changed. So uh, I put a couple of links in your um, handout there, that uh, good, good articles about this. Um, that uh, Taylor recommended, and I think that uh, you, if, if you want to do some extra reading, uh, those are uh, very, very informative there. <clears throat> so, um, so that's about all the time we'll, we'll, we'll spend on that. So we talked about God did create man. He created us in his image, and he created us male and female. So we said we had three statements and a question. So what's the question? How did God do it? How did God create man? That's where most people spend the time and say, well, okay, I believe that God created man, but uh, he did it through evolution, you know? Um, so generally speaking, your two choices are God created man through evolution, through that process, the Big Bang Theory and evolution that followed. Or if you want a big word there that you can pressure your friends, I'm not even sure how this Latin is pronounced, creatio ex nihilo, uh, creation from nothing. That uh, God created the world from nothing. He created man from nothing. That, uh, so that's, that's, where I, that's where I come down, is that I'm not, I don't understand how all that worked, but uh, God created the world, and uh, he, uh, he did it because there was nothing there, and then he, he created it. But some people don't agree with that. But the question is, does it matter how God created the world? Does it matter to us practically? Does it matter to us theologically? That's what we want to look at here for the next few minutes. So, in fact, there's another idea that I found out when I was reading this. And uh, there's an art. In fact, I, I put a, uh, uh, somewhere in that handout, wherever it is, uh, I, I listed a link to a book review by a gentleman. Uh, his name is uh, Joshua Swidamas, I guess. But uh, this is an evangelical guy who's a scientist, and he has this theory. He said, yes, God did create Adam and Eve in a miraculous way, and um, uh, from nothing, he created them. He said, however, at the same time, evolution had been taking place, and so when Adam and Eve were created by God, by miraculous design there, there were all these other humans already in the world, and so Adam's children intermarried with all these other humans. That, that's his idea. And uh, you say, well, uh, I, don't quite, <laughs> I don't quite understand all that. But uh, he went through, he got this whole book that he wrote about that. And this is a great book review if you're interested in, in studying that type of thing. So um, there's some problems with that. But I think the best way to answer the problems with uh, why, why is it important of how God created man, I think what we need to do is move on to the next part, which is the third part where man, after he disobeyed God, the fall of man. We need to go to that part before we can answer why does it matter how God created man in the first place. So that's what I want us to uh, to, uh, to uh, go go to next. <clears throat> I, I I listed <clears throat> excuse me I listed for you in your handout there uh, the um, 
the six the six parts of uh, that guy's hypothesis about uh, uh, forgot to mention that uh, that, he, that he thinks that Adam and Eve lived as about six thousand years ago that they are genealogical ancestors of everyone who's alive today that he God did directly create them and uh, then their descendants interbred with other biological humans but uh, the other biological humans were direct descendants of the apes and all that kind of stuff but uh, if you look at those scriptures that I put on your hand out there, um, these are all scriptures which state specifically about the lineage of Adam and Eve all the way through the Bible. And we're not going to take time to look at all those, Genesis 1 through 3, Genesis 1 through 11, Luke, 1 Chronicles. Uh, but uh, those, uh, those are things that talk about the lineage of Adam there. But if we go and find out, does it matter how God created the world? Let's go and talk about, excuse me, let's go and talk about... Um, the fall of man. And in uh, um, this part, we're going to go and, and look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 and uh, the verses there that uh, relate to this. I asked uh, Alan if he would come up, and we're going to read verses 1 through 19. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. <clears throat> but the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In birth and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, there's been no shortage of words about uh, written by Bible scholars and theologians about what happened 
in Genesis chapter 3. Um, and maybe not everybody, even though all these words have been written, they have not agreed on, on why it happened. But if you, the story that we just read there uh, in chapter 3, if you boil it down to one word, it's pretty simple. It was an, an act of disobedience. Man disobeying God at its, at its most fundamental thing that man disobeyed what God had told him to do there. Now some you know, people who are, are uh, not Christians or maybe they're, uh, maybe they call themselves Christians, but they say, you know, this is just a ludicrous idea. How naive can you be to think that the entire history of all mankind was messed up because somebody ate an apple? I say, how, how can eating an apple mess that up? And some people probably have said that, but um, I guess that's kind of a shallow way to look at this. It wasn't the apple that had anything to do with it. You know, part of the story here in chapter 3, one of the principles that, uh, that we need to remember that caused the fall of man was that, you know, part of the deceitfulness of sin, the subtleness, the subtlety of sin, is that sin will creep in on us and it will seem inconsequential. We think, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. But sin always has consequences, big consequences, eternal consequences. And that's what happened here. So it wasn't the eating of the apple that was a problem. What was it? Disobedience. You know, in, in kind of a, throughout the years, theologians have kind of come down with, with two basic sins that, that took place here. Which sins would they be? Well, selfishness. Well, obviously, selfishness. Ah, pride. There we go. Pride. Pride was one of them. So the other would be unbelief. Okay, look, look at the verses that we just read here in, in chapter 3. Which one of these verses would you say at, goes to that thing about pride? Where was the serpent tempting Eve uh, to, related to her pride? Which, which one of the verses do you think would go, uh, go to that? There you go. At, uh, do you want to, would, you, would you like to be like God? Frank, you're very good there. So what about, what about the unbelief? Which, where was Satan playing to their... Ah, did he really say that? Oh, are you kidding me? Did he really say that? He didn't really say that. Surely he didn't say that. Surely you won't die. So pride. Well, the thing I heard was that Eve... Let's see. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. That's what I've heard. But, uh, but the two things, pride and unbelief. Having our pride that, that, that we know more than God or, um, and that we're not going to believe what God told us. Um, I don't remember who, uh, who wrote this, but I, I wrote this down. that uh, um, This act of revolt expressed an inner crisis in the human soul. Uh, it was the doubting God's goodness. It was disputing God's wisdom. Um, there must have been a preacher on this because they all start with a D. Disbelieving God's word and desiring to have God's prerogatives for ourselves. Let me say those again. That in this chapter, uh, they doubted God's goodness. Oh, well, you know, to, you know, God didn't want me to have his, you know, to be as smart as him. They doubted his goodness. They disputed God's wisdom. They disbelieved his word. But, and they desired to have the same prerogatives as God. So 
This is not just an act, an outward act that caused the entire fall of, of mankind. It was an inward motivation which stays with us today. And um, um, so what is that ultimate root of all the sins? Pride and unbelief. I think that would be pretty easy to, to um, understand there. If, if we have time, I, want to kind of, I found this great uh, quote from uh, one of um, Charles Spurgeon's sermons. Uh, where, where he talked about this specific thing in this specific chapter, talking about the uh, unbelief. If uh, we have time, I'd love to come back and read that. At, uh, I don't know that we're going to have time to do that, but uh, uh, just in case I don't have time to read that, I did put it on the back page of your, of your handout there because it is so good. So, you know, we don't have to choose between pride and unbelief because they're both very evident there, and they're both very active still in, in our lives. Um, but what happened to us, Adam and Eve, our first parents, they made a choice. How did, it, how did it affect us? Why are we affected by that? The fact that they chose to disobey God. How did, how did that make us depraved and sinful? Okay. Let's go back to that term, the image of God. God created us in His image. But when... Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and sin. What happened to the image of God? Okay. Is the image of God still part of our lives? Someone used this illustration. I think it works very good. Think of your windshield. If your windshield gets hit by a brick and it just you know, shatters and it's got spider webs all over it, you can't see through it anymore. It's still a windshield, isn't it? But it's not much good anymore. The image of God in our lives, once Adam sinned, Became, became damaged. The image of God is still there, but the holiness and righteousness that God intended for us was no longer there because they chose to disobey Him. Um, so the image of God is still in us, but when Adam and Eve sinned, they damaged the image of God. And so what did we inherit from Adam and Eve? A damaged image of God, which is um, a sinful nature. But God's image is still it's still in us, but um, we're, not, we're not where we started. Um, I put in your uh, handout uh, a summary of original sin. These are, these are comments by different commentators trying to describe what original sin is in our life. Um, all men are joined to Adam by both natural generation, means that he is our biological father, and also by his, the word is cov covenantal headship. That means we are related to Adam spiritually because of, of his sinning came down to our lives. Because we share in Adam's guilt before God, we are a people who from our birth are corrupted by sin. This guilt is imputed to us. Now, you've heard of imputed righteousness. Jesus, is, Jesus has righteousness. We don't. Jesus died. He's going to give us his righteousness. He is imputing his righteousness to us. You've, have you heard that term? Has anybody ever heard that term? Yes. The same thing happened with the guilt from Adam. He imputed his guilt to us because uh, he was guilty and he gave that to us. Men and women are so corrupted morally and spiritually by our natural union with Adam that we are totally depraved. And we'll talk about that just a, a, a moment, about the, that idea of total depravity. All of our human faculties are corrupted by sin, so therefore we have a tendency to commit sin because it is our nature. 
our total depravity renders, renders us spiritually unable to love God or to believe His gospel or to be saved until, as Taylor has said many, many times, until we are regenerated by God's sovereign grace. God has to soften our heart, turn our heart of stone to a heart of flesh so that we can respond. Because of the sinfulness that we inherited from Adam, we're not even able to respond that way until God does that in our lives. Original sin provides us with a biblical understanding of ourselves, and it casts sinners in utter reliance on God's saving grace um, in order for us to have a relationship with God. So, original sin. We, we inherited that nature from Adam. And in Romans chapter 5, which we'll get back to, in case we didn't get back to it, we read it to start with, uh, this is where Paul comes down, that we inherited our nature from Adam. So, let's go back to that question of, well, how, how, did God, how did God create man? Did he do it like that guy said? He did create Adam and Eve and all these people, but there were already all these other people who were over here who were created by, I mean, they kind of evolved. And so, there were all these people over here. Then God did actually miraculously create Adam and Eve and their descendants, and they married here. What's the problem with that? Pastor, what's the theological problem with these folks over here came from evolution, and these folks did descend from Adam. What's the theological problem? Who did Christ die for? And in Romans 5, that all of Adam's descendants, Jesus died for Adam's descendants. Well, then, gee, did he die for these? What about these people over here that are not Adam's descendants? It, that kind of messes things up, doesn't it? I don't understand that at all. So, there's a principle in hermeneutics interpreting the Bible where you let the explicit passages, passages that are clear, uh, that you understand, help you to understand and interpret other passages in the Bible. So Romans chapter 5 is pretty clear that we descended from Adam. And in Romans chapter 5 it says that Jesus brought us the gift of righteousness because we're all descended from Adam, from that one man. Because of that one man, we were all we're all lost in sin but the gift of righteousness was brought to all of us because of what one man did what Jesus did so this model of Adam and Eve coming this way and everybody else is over here and they're intermarrying it's not it doesn't to me it doesn't hold up biblically just go to Romans 5 if you have any questions about that but that's what uh, this gentleman was thinking he's and according to the book reviewer this guy is a committed evangelical he believes in the resurrection of Jesus uh, he's put his faith in Jesus but this is what he believes about creation so uh, but um, I just don't see how that could work so um, that's how we answer that question at, uh, how does it matter how God created man yes it does we believe that everyone came from Adam and Eve and that our sinful heritage traces back to them and the fact that Jesus our righteousness and our salvation and the grace of God traces right back to the same way because Jesus had to make everything right that went wrong at this point. Now back to um, Genesis chapter 3 here. Um, what are some of the things that got that happened because man disobeyed God? Um, so yeah, you, you, we, we've read the story, you know the story, they sinned, they, then their eyes were open, they knew that they were naked, they sowed leaves. And God comes walking through the garden. And he says, where are you? Did God not know where they were? Of course he knew where they were. He said, where are you? He said, oh, well, uh, you know, we were uh, hiding. We were naked. And who told you we were naked? Uh, well, uh, you know. Uh, um, and he said, hmm, have you been doing what I told you not to do? 
And because of that, look at the curses that came. You know, God, think about it this way. Do you know the will of God for your life? Say, well, I think I do. What was the will of God for Adam and Eve? Pretty simple. Three things, I think. What were the three things that uh, God had told them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. And so that was two positive and one negative. And don't eat of this tree. That was, that was pretty simple. He says, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to have dominion over the earth. But don't eat this tree. So when they messed up and they ate from the tree, the curses that God gave, what about that? Be fruitful and multiply. He said to the woman, he said, childbirth is going to become a hard thing now. As you, he didn't remove the original task. He did not remove the original assignment, but he said it's going to be harder. He said to the women, he said to her, childbirth is going to be hard. He told Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. I don't know what it was going to be like if he hadn't sinned, but you're going by the sweat of your brow. Are you going to work the ground? The ground is cursed because of what you've done. So that's part of when Adam and Eve made that decision, it affected everything. So the will of God, which was relatively simple, uh, they disobeyed that. And so therefore, uh, things, things went south in a hurry. How much time we got left? <clears throat> Look at this term, a, a total depravity that uh, is on your sheet there. Um, you've heard of, you've heard uh, in the Calvinist thing about the, the tulip. Uh, tulip stand, uh, stands for total depravity, unconditional election, <clears throat> limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. So total depravity is the one that we can uh, remember. And um, I like this definition. Human beings since the fall have inherited both the guilt of Adam and the sin nature of Adam in such a way that Absolutely everything about us as humans is affected by sin. Now, it doesn't mean that every person is horribly, horribly, horribly evil, like a mass murderer you may have heard about. But it does mean that we're not what God intended for us to be. As one uh, commentator said, it's not, you talk, think about the depravity of the human mind, it's not the extent to or that we are to pray, but it's how widespread it is in, 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 our, in our life. Every cell in our, in our bodies have been affected by the fact that we're, we're sinful. It's not, that, it's not that we can't do good. We can still do good. We can do great things. Some, uh, somebody that doesn't know Jesus has never come to know God. Uh, some atheist that doesn't even believe in God can be a great person, can be a great humanitarian, can serve people. So they can do that. But total depravity means that all through our 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 existence that we cannot be what God intended us to be. Uh, perfect in holiness and righteousness. What do we have to have to reach that? That's what Romans chapter 5 tells us. That through one man Adam, sin came into our life. Through one man Jesus, righteousness can come back into our lives. I don't think I'm telling you anything that, uh, that you don't know. Uh, on over to the next to the last page there. Uh, just in brief. You know, going through the entire Bible there. Um, why is our connection back to Adam and Eve important? Why does that matter? Why does it matter how God created us? Um, Genesis 1, 26 and 28, as we just read there. Uh, in Genesis 3, 20, when Eve is designated as the mother of all living things. Uh, the 
men and women are sons of Adam. Uh, when you think about the, the global flood, uh, Adam, um, you know, he was the father of humanity. Then Noah became the second Adam in a sense. Uh, Luke's genealogy uh, traces uh, Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. When Jesus is discussing uh, divorce, he mentions Adam and Eve and what he said. If Jesus believes in Adam and Eve, I think I will too, Edwin. What do you think? Sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, Paul sees Adam as the, the, the fountain of humanity. That's what we read a minute ago in uh, Acts 17 uh, when he was preaching there. Uh, and uh, I like this statement. The biblical story of sin and redemption doesn't make any sense without Adam being our forefather. Everything that Jesus did, he did because we all are descended from Adam and we need to be saved. Uh, this last one, the unity of the human race is, is rooted in Adam. And although we sin in the first Adam, God's son came down from heaven as the last Adam. Um, therefore, Jesus is the savior of all of us. I love this term that somebody used, the redemptive historical connection. I hadn't thought about that phrase, but, but our redemption is historical in the sense that it traces all the way back to Adam. Jesus came at that point in time to take all the sins that had started with Adam coming down there, and he's going to pay all those sins and pay it forward, all the sins that were ever happening. There's a historical connection with, uh, with, our, uh, with our salvation, redemption. And then you may have heard this term, the solidarity in sin. It uh, doesn't sound like very much fun, does it? Uh, that's a technical term that just talks about um, our unbroken connection all the way back to Adam. So if you, you hear that term, uh, that's what that means. So uh, wrapping up here at the end, what were the consequences of the fall? It was a change of man's attitude toward God. How were Adam and Eve responding after when God came walking in the garden? Uh, guilty, their um, shame. Uh, we don't have any a recording of any of their conversations between God and Adam before the fall, but uh, it changed man's attitude toward God. There was not that closeness. There was not that connection. There was a sense of shame because they knew they had done something wrong. So, and number two, there was also a change in God's attitude toward man. Of course, God knew exactly what they had done. And uh, so God's attitude toward man was, you know, I set all this up for you. This was going to be great. But you messed it up, so therefore, the ground is going to be cursed, child, childbearing is going to be hard. It changed God's attitude toward man, the consequences of the fall. Uh, and uh, number, <clears throat> well, God is eternal with no, end, no beginning, no end. We will be everlasting. Our souls will be everlasting somewhere, at, uh, either in heaven or not in heaven, in hell. So uh, you are correct, and that's part of that image of God there. So... Uh, the third thing here, all of, all of man's environment was, was perverted by his sin. I mean, you know, God cursed the earth and uh, changed man's entire existence there, consequences of the fall. And so, and then we read also here in um, chapter 3 that uh, um, man is marked for death. That, uh, is that the very last verse? That... Uh, you will return the ground from which you were taken. Uh, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. That uh, man was marked.
for death from that team. I included in your handout, a, again, another link to another great article there. So um, we're not going to get around to talking about the redemption of man. That, uh, that's, that's assumed, and that can be another study altogether. But let's go back to Romans chapter 5 as we close out here. I've got about three minutes. Oh, Larry, Larry Bell's leaving at 5, I see. He said, you might not be finished at 5, but I'll be finished at 5. So, um, if you, uh, it, but at a, Romans chapter 5 is, is so clear. It's real, it's real simple. The whole doctrine of man summed up in uh, seven verses here. Sin entered the world through one man. That's why we believe that was Adam. Uh, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let Scripture that is clear and plain interpret Scripture that you don't understand. Some of the... Um, Unusual ideas that people have come up with and say, well, who did Cain marry? The Bible doesn't say, who did Cain marry? It doesn't say. But it did say that Cain got married. I don't know who he married. Do you know who he married, Frank? Doug, do you know who he married? I don't know. So because it's left unsaid, these people said, well, this guy said, well, there must have been all these other people. He had to have somebody to marry. Where, who was in the land of Nod? You know, people asking these questions. Well, the Bible doesn't give us those answers, and I don't know the answer to them. But the, answer, but the scriptures that are explicit, such as in Romans chapter 5, sin entered the world through one man. I don't know how to answer those other questions, but I do believe that that one man was Adam and Eve. Sin entered us there. So let scripture that is plain and explicit interpret other scriptures which don't, don't uh, tell us everything we want to know. Um, sin came through one man. Death came through sin. And this is how death came to everybody. So, um, oh, here's another little aside. I, I just kind of skipped that. This guy that wrote this uh, book, he was not the first guy that had this idea about uh, Adam and Eve were the second creation. There's some guy back in the 1600s, some French guy, I don't remember his name, Isaac somebody. But he had this idea. Uh, he, he taught at some the, the, theological seminary that he said, well, God created the Gentiles first. And they were, on the, they were in the world. And then he created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve really were created. But that's who Adam and Eve intermarried with, were all the Gentiles that he had created the first time. And, uh, and his argument was this, coming from uh, Romans chapter 5. And see, this goes to interpretation. This is how this guy interpreted uh, Romans chapter 5. He's, and here in, in uh, chapter 5, it said that, you know, that Adam sinned. And uh, let's see. Uh, which verse were you talking about there? But he said there was there were laws for Adam to break. Therefore, there there had to be out there there had to be people out there, and there had to be laws out there for Adam to break. That meant there were people already here, and therefore Adam was the second gen, you know, the second creation, and uh, so that that was his whole point. Uh, within a year, another theologian, this is back sixteen twenty five, rebutted that and said, "No, you crazy." And that's where he said, "Let Scripture." interpret scripture and he said that's absolutely insane to come up with that idea but in Romans chapter 5 that uh, the, 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 the summary of it is that uh, there was one man for sin there's one man for uh, the trespass and there's one man for the gift Jesus brought us a gift of righteousness of life uh, through God's grace and I, I like in chapter in verse 16 the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift, <clears throat> the gift followed many trespasses, 
The gift brought justification. The doctrine of man, God created us, and we screwed it up. Uh, we messed it up, excuse me. Uh, we messed it up, and therefore God, he came back uh, to provide a way. Um, I was talking to someone recently and, uh, about this very thing, and uh, we can't, it, it made me realize we can't skip over this last thing. In chapter 3, verse 15, the uh, verse that we read that you know so well, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And I was talking with a Christian believer. I said, I never did. I never knew that. And um, that the prophecy was there, that God was putting it right there, that, that Jesus was going to crush the head of the serpent. Now, this, we'll close on this because this is a great illustration. This morning, uh, Rita Rollins is coming by and I said, well, in the hallway, I said, what did you guys learn today? I said, the Bible? She said, oh, we learned the names of Jesus. I said, oh. She said, yeah, we got a new one that I hadn't heard before. Snake crusher. Have you heard that one before? I figured that maybe our pastor had taught that to his children because that describes exactly Genesis 3.15. What a great name. So all the kids wrote it on their sheet. Snake crusher. Jesus crushed the head of the snake. That is exactly right. Maybe we should have t-shirts made up with I'm a follower of the snake crusher because Jesus crushed sin that's the doctrine of man. We messed up and God saved us. You have any questions? If so, I'll refer you to the, the pastor. Well, thank you all for coming. Uh, let's pray and go home. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that the, the word that we looked at tonight, Lord, that uh, the siege will stay in our hearts. Uh, the verses that we've looked at, uh, they will grow. And um, Lord, as we, as we think about those, we can um, just be reminded of our frail condition, um, meaning that we have no, no way to resist sin that, uh, because we are, we are sinful. That God help us to always rejoice in the, the second part of that, that you have provided a way to overcome that. You have given us the gift of righteousness through Jesus. So, Lord, um, as we live our lives, as we talk to people, um, Lord, help that message of the fact that uh, we, are, we, we are nothing before you because of our sins, but Jesus makes us everything before you. Lord, just uh, remind us of that um, as we go through, um, go through our lives. Give us opportunities uh, to tell the message of um, how people can come to repentance and faith uh, to receive the gift that, um, that Jesus brought to us. So um, help us this week to honor you and to point people toward Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.